Hello friends, it's a Johnster Monster with episode 11 of Shadow and Flame with Magic, the podcast. Today, uh, following up our big episode 10 with Lockheed's first appearance, we are f- concluding our namesake of Shadow and Flame with Magic with Magic's first appearance herself. And we're going to review the fourth Otis comic in my collection. I do, I am lucky enough to own the first three appearances of Wolverine and the Incredible Hulk, 180, 181, and 182. Uh, he shows up for like the last page of 180. So 181's like his full force, full appearance. And you see that in like old school wizard issues or comic buyer's guides. But he has a full appearance in issue 180 like it's like the final page splash uh so we're reviewing giant size x-men number one first appearance of many a character uh by the time you uh, you are able to download this episode if you go to my youtube channel jackal s-i-i-i you will see a youtube video i made of uh the actual copy of giant size x-men i'm reviewing for this episode we, um, I'm pretty sure I bought it like 10 years ago, maybe in like fine edition. So it was probably cost me like 50 bucks. And, but I, my one day I was at my mother-in-law's house and we realized, you know, uh, my beloved mother-in-law, I was going to say RIP, but I was like, well, that's a little shorthand anyways. And one day I realized like, well, if I'm going to ever own giant size X-Men, it'd be nice if I did. And then, um, but there was no way I was ever going to own a near mint edition. But I was like, well, how cheap is cheap and still be readable? And I tried to look through my emails to see when I bought this thing. Because I'm I'm like, either Walker was a newborn or it was right before he was born. And uh, that that little bundle of joy is going to be nine years old on Friday. So happy early birthday to Walker D. And he probably would love for me to promote his YouTube channel, Walker D. Whirl. He's currently having an advent calendar and making a video per one of those. And, um, anyway, so I couldn't find a copy of it. I looked through the blog and apparently I never did a review issue of this, which is also irritating. Like, come on, man. It's literally the third part of your namesake of your blog. You never got around to John Size X-Men? So anyways, here we are making up for past mistakes. It is Giant Size X-Men, 68 big pages since Shattering First Issue, Marvel Comics Group. Released in 1975, it would have cost you 50 whole cents. It's the classic cover with the original X-Men team, Beast, Angel, Cyclops, Iceman, and Jean Grey in the background in blue. As if they... Or from the past. And the splashing from them. Which I don't. I guess I never really thought about. Like what would have been on the bottom of that image. That they're cutting through just their legs. It's the all new. All different X-Men. With, Col- with Colossus. Nightcrawler. War Thunderbird. Storm. Wolverine. And it took until someone else. Like mentioned it like years and years ago. Where it's like yeah Cyclops is in both the past and the present. And it's like oh yeah. Uh, like I, I guess I never really gave it much mind attention of like he is in both images. How silly! And this is Deadly Genesis. I'm trying to be very gentle as I turn the pages. So, Uncanny X Men writer editor Lean Wayne co creators, along with Dave Cockrum illustrator, colorist Guinness Wayne. Very at the time connected uh, relation, and then letter John Costanza from the pa- ashes of the past. There grows the fires of the future. The grandeur and glory begin anew with Second Genesis, and then the opening splash pages: Gene, Angel, Cyclops, Beast, and Iceman, um, in like a smoky background. Now this beast, like the covered beast is human beast, but this beast is blue beast. And when I finished reading, reviewing, or reading the comic a couple hours ago, I was like, I don't think beast is actually in this comic. Or if he is, he's in a background. 
And I did not recognize him. And I wasn't sure if I was looking for a blue or a human. And then in front of them is uh, Wolverine, Storm, Thunderbird, Colossus, Banshee, Sunfire, and Nightcrawler. And uh, Giant Size X-Men is published by Marvel Comics Group. And it just says 1975. And so the very first X-Men we are introduced is to Nightcrawler. <clears throat> and all the narrations done by Ling Wing. Uh, Wesseldorf, Germany, nestled deep in the Brazilian Alps, this tiny village has hardly changed over the centuries. In Windsordorf, life is gentle, peaceful, for nothing ever happens here to disturb the domestic tranquility. And just reminded right now, I want to say thank you to everyone who, um, with issue episode 10, I did a big, well, big, a media blitz of promoting the blog. Like we did a soft launch of the introduction first episode. And I was like, well, let's see who we find with just however people find me. And then I went on Uncanny X-Cast and Turtle Soup's Facebook pages and got some great responses there i went on twitter i made a twi- uh, pin tweet people liked it and retweeted so i just want to say thank you to everyone who um decided to follow along with this episode you know so people are chasing kurt they're screaming and he's a monster he thinks to himself monster is it the fools it is they who are the monsters they with their mindless prejudices Perhaps things would be simpler, safer, if I had stayed with Der Jarvermarkt. But the life of a carnival freak is not for me, not for Kurt Ragnar. Let him come if they must. Let them try to kill me. At least if I die, it is it will be as a man. And he's just like running across rooftops and like wall crawling. And it's a very interesting point. That they mentioned on Oh Golly, Oh Gosh, Oh Wow podcast, the Excalibur podcast, about how it's very telling with that they went with Nightcrawler as the very first um, mutant. Just, uh, you know, he's the most non human looking of the batch. Like, you have Kaloshes all in metal, but he's still human, you know, like. He's just silver. Meanwhile, Kurt has, you know, four fingers, two toes. Two toes on each foot. And this is Nightcrawler's first appearance. He was a... uh, Would have been a Legion of Superheroes character for DC. Dave Cockrum. And then he left and went to Marvel. And just had, you know, unused characters. And that's how we got Kurt and Aurora. And so, and you know, and... Nightcrawler is very close to Dave Cockrum's heart. They both sharing a birthday. Uh, November 11th. And the narration continues. Ironically, the astonishing leap alone lends doubt to Kurt Ragnar's humanity. And his hideous howling like that of a baying beast denies it completely. And this comic, I mean, I don't know if it's because they knew it was going to be 68 pages. But each page, each uh, left-facing page has a little text saying uh promoting an upcoming comic and this one says supernatural thorough 13 an unlucky issue for the living dummy <laughs> living mummy but the only response the cornered misfit receives is one he had hardly expected and the, the villagers are legit throwing fire at kurt like they're torches they had lit like they're literally chasing him like he's a monster and they're just going to burn down his whole city. And eventually he has nowhere else to run because he's just, you know, it's either burn or run. And he can't run anymore. So he takes option three and just jumps into the crowd and just decides to just start wailing. And with a tham and a chalk, choke, without the E, uh, he, he starts fighting back. Howling wildly, Kurt Ragnar plunges through the thick of the mob until the sheer weight of its numbers carry him down. And people are just shouting, We have him, we have him, quickly, bring the stake. And because in 1980, with Kitty Pride's first appearance on Kenny 129, they ended every page before an ad stating, Continue after next page. 
in case you were going to flip the page and be like, well, I guess this comic's done. But it's like, no, wait, on page three, it says continue after next page. So they've been doing that practice, must be for five years at least. And one of the ads here is coming soon from Mago. Four great new Marvel characters, the Lizard, Falcon, Hulk, and Green Goblin. So if you bought that whole set, poor Falcon's going to be outmatched there. Oh, no, no, I say that, but literally has the Hulk. Which I guess, I guess in my mind, is that it's like three green characters versus Falcon in his red and white outfit. And then, uh... So they're they're just winning the fight against Kirk because you know a hundred people versus one man. You know, one man's only going to win so long, and then finally you hear a mental stop, and remarkably they do. And Kirk meets Xavier, and he explains to him how he's a telepath and he's a teacher. Though he doesn't tell Kirk that he's a lousy teacher. Wait, I guess he taught five students very well and then after that just lost his mind with not doing a good job and so agreeing if xavier offers him to if xavier is honest with kurt this is where i'm gonna falter with like i can read the captions no problem but then summarizing the dialogue it's like oh no i gotta get better at this kurt's like he offers kurt an uh, opportunity to become whole if you can make him a whole Kurt Ragnar, if you can make me that, teacher, I will go with you. A witch shall be born in Savage Sword of Coden number five, and a Chimerian must die. Quebec, Canada. Few people know of this secluded military installation. Few, fewer still know of its true purpose. It is the home base of a special government agency and its very special agent. The agent cipher coded. Weapon 10. Well, it says Weapon X, but we know now that it's actually Weapon 10. Thanks to Grant Morrison. And so uh, Wolverine comes in, but better not, but better known to us as the Wolverine. And Wolverine barges in the room, like, all right, gents, I'm here. What, who's the big wig you want me to meet? And then Xavier's there, like, I'm him. And he offers him an opportunity to. You know, he's, he knows of his Hulk fight in Hulk 181. And that he's a mutant. Oh, yeah, because he told Kurt he's a mutant, too. And Kurt was like, a mutant? I've heard this word. And so everyone's like, oh, I've, I'm familiar with the term, but I never asserted, you know, like, they're not op- out mutants. And Xavier tells Wolverine he's needed for a desperate mission. And Wolverine's quick to accept to get out of there because he doesn't want to be under any red tape and rigmarole anymore. And then the off the colonel is very mad at Wolverine for accepting the deal, which makes you wonder, like, what did Xavier tell the Canadian government he was going to do when he showed up? <laughs> like, oh, you just want to talk to our secret agent, Weapon 10? Please, go right ahead. And they're like, wait, you're going to offer him a job? Like, what is this? So you just assume Xavier just mind controlled people, and then while talking Wolverine, let loose his gra- uh, grasp on him. And then uh, Wolverine's like, "It seems that you didn't get my meaning, friend. This is still a free country, isn't it? So I'm resigning my commission effective immediately." So they leave. Um, Jack Russell must destroy the Deaf Demon and Werewolf by night thirty. And Wolverine, of course, will have to deal with this decision when uh, many issues from now when Alpha Flight comes for him. And I guess now's a good enough time to mention how with Weapon 10, there's also a little retro uh, retcon about how this is actually Xavier's third or second attempt to rescue his X-Men where this is leading to as um blank on his name now who did Deadly Genesis Ed Brubaker I was like man he was like a very famous comic book writer back in the day and I'm sure no he's still famous for making um turning winter or Bucky into Winter Soldier 
but yeah, Ed Brubaker. I think mean, he did Deadly Genesis, and he took a year or two of Uncanny X-Men and sent characters into space, and anyways, it's a whole thing. But we're not, uh, we're, we're not delving into that just yet. I want to say I have several issues of that, because I want to say Kitty's in some of those issues. Um... Nashville, Tennessee, a visitor to the Grano Opry finds he has a visitor of his own. And because we've already introduced ourselves to Banshee earlier in Uncanny X-Men, Xavier just essentially shows up shortly in Banshee's shabby quarters. And Banshee agrees to go on the mission. Which I guess is fun that they do like new character a slightly newer character than old character. And then we get to a brand new character. Kenya, East Africa. Atop a lonely knoll, there stands a great stone portal. Men come to it in humility. Their voices raise in praise and song and prayer for supplication. Aurora, great goddess of the storm, the voices cry. Come unto us and ease our burden. And the hollow pearl of thunder and the moan of lonely winds. The storm goddess comes. And they offer her... uh, uh, Several of their goats and chickens. If they just want a little bit of rain. Her eyes are crystal blue. And older than time. They sparkle as the... As she answers. Like, save your beast, my children. You need them more than I. I will do as you plead. And Storm's hair is clearly covering her naked breasts. And she's just a woman of Africa. Her liquid eyes grow dark then. And the sky grows dark as well. It's just with thunder and lightning. Once more the howling winds come up. And the sweep the storm goddess away. She soars aloft like an ebon bird. Lightning lancing from her fingertips. The glow of life and shining full upon her face. She's happy here, only truly happy here among the elements. The raging sky, touched by her happiness, weeps. When the storm goddess returns to earth at last, her joy is shared by all. And it's amazing what Cochrane does here with, like, all the rain. Like, I don't know if he just drew the art first and then just drew these thick lines across each panel. But, like, it looks very dark with, like, how thick the rain is. See Man Thing 18, where the swamp creature is destroyed by foam? And then um, Storm lands on her feet again, and Xavier's there. Somehow he got all the way to Africa and got his wheelchair into his traditional wheelchair all the way through all that grass. And he offers her um, to join his team, and she's like, an offer? What have you to offer a goddess? And I guess he's quick to explain to her that you're not a goddess, you're a mutant. You have responsibilities. Come with me, child. Taste the world outside. You might find it flavor bitter or surprisingly sweet. And then Storm agrees to go with him. Osaka, Japan. The two acquaintances share tea in the splendid garden of Shiro Yoshida. And Xavier is talking to... Sunfire, who's just wearing a blue bathrobe with yellow, or maybe it's a, a Komodo. Let's say it's a Komodo, but that sounds nicer. Uh, and he's like, so, you offer nothing, Professor, perhaps I owe something to myself. And then legit, so they're at, like, getting tea at a table, and then his next exp- sentence is, perhaps it's time once more for the world to hear from Sunfire. And he's just outside, full costume, like, did he say that? Like, I owe something to myself. Excuse himself from the table. Went outside. Like, got dressed. Went all the way outside. Made Xavier get in his chair. Well, I guess he was always... Well, no, I don't know. When they're getting tea, it looks like he's just sitting without the chair back. And then went all the way to his favorite tree and was like, Perhaps it isn't time once more for the world to hear from Sunfire. Like, poor Xavier is like, I can read your mind. I know everything you're practicing to say. That's got to be irritating for telepaths, right? To, I don't know if anyone's like me, but like, if I'm walking to you, by the time, like, with a purpose to talk to you, like, in my head, I've probably already at least got the greeting and, like, 
my opening sentence like, hey, can you help me with this? Or, hey, paper came in here. I guess these are work examples. So, you know, we're a telepath. We're probably just hearing me think that. And then you hear me say it. And it's like, oh, man. Like, this is twice. Like, Pietro's bored like that, too. A Quicksilver where he's just like, you people are so slow. Which I want to say they dealt with a little bit in um, Ultimate X-Men where Xavier, instead of reading books, he just pries into the mind of authors and read and just read their minds as they're writing. And it's like, okay, Xavier. Just Xavier's prime characteristic is he doesn't respect boundaries. So Sunfire, established character, we're not spending too much time with him. He legit gets one narrow panel and then a quarter of another panel. And Roth, Lake, Baikal, Sibira. It has been a long, a good year for the Us Odchewski Collective Farm. The crop has been larger than expected. The wheat fields feels the fields like an amber sea. Oh man, feels the fields. Like it's great to read, but saying it aloud. Feels the fields. Gotta hit that D. And those who toil in the fields are field. Oh man, Lynn. Lean. Like that expression so much, he just was like, fields of fields, hard to say. Just make him say fields are field. See if that's easier. It's not. I'm still too much in my head about it. Fulfilling a satisfaction, the knowledge of a job well done, and fear. And someone's like, Peter, look, your sister. And Colossus, and just like brown pants, uh, white shirt that we used to call wife beaters, but now I don't know what you call it. Just a white tank top? Yeah, that's obviously what you should call it. Um, he's like, what is no? Colossus impression being worked on. Except not really. Peter Rasputin looks up from his work and his eyes glow wide with horror. He, his, he discerns it all in his instant. The runaway tractor. The child playing blinding the path. And uh, I guess this is the other criticism of any Wikipedia page or comic book wiki you will find where it says Ilyana Rasputin's uh, creators, Arlene Wing and Cock, uh, Dave Cockrum. And, you know... In the script, it's clearly going to be Colossus runs to his little sister, who's a blonde girl wearing, you know, a green smock and a brown headband. And that's it. That's all you need to know. She's much younger. If he's 20, she's six. Except, I guess he's 18. But still, he looks like a man. You know, whereas one could argue Chris Claremont breath life to her. Like, you know... Like, she's, ugh, I was going to say a horrible analogy, like, the baby that the parents died in a car accident, and, like, their uncle raised her from, like, an infancy. And it's like, well, that's a horrible analogy, but I made it, and here we are. But, like, clearly Chris Caramont, right, developed a character. And one might say he created magic, but not Ileana, if you want to split hairs, which I guess I do. Uh, and without hesitation, Peter Rasputin is running, legs pumping, heart pounding, the very air around him crackling with the energy of his exertion. Energy released in the most astonishing manner. And he steals up. The armored machine bears relentlessly down upon the unwilting child, witting child, as an armored Colossus snatches her from its path. There is no time for Peter Rasputin to move out of harm's way. Less he stands his ground as the rampant tractor plunges toward him. I guess it's a good idea to like, mention like how clever they've been on working in. Like Kurt's already in his red and black outfit. Storm's being referenced to a goddess of storm over and over. Colossus has got reference as Colossus. Like they're doing a great job of putting the thought of like superhero names to you. Before these characters have names. Like Wolverine has a name already. Banshee already is established. Sunfire. Giant size Conan number four. The barbarian in chains. But still Conan. And he wonders how his poor neighbors. Will ever afford to buy another. Tractor that is. That though is a worry for another day. This day is filled with problems enough. 
And so Meadow Colossus is holding um, Ileana. Uh, so he says, Peter Rasputin, I wish to speak to you. He has a Russian accent as well. And Colossus, uh, Peter's like, that voice, Peter, is that voice in my head, who? And now we know the answer to that question. So moments later, which is fine, because it's like, yeah, like he's Xavier, he's going around the school, you get it, right? And he offers him to come to America and use his powers, but Colossus is worried that his powers might belong to the state. And <laughs> Xavier's response is like, well, not to the state, to the world. For the use of all that is good. Like your powers are needed. Which I like the idea that he's like, yeah, yeah, we need your powers for the world. And he told Storm the same idea and Kurt, but really, he just wants his five um, students to be rescued. Like, come on, speed this up. Then come, we will talk of this with my parents. And so Peter's father is like, well, do what your heart tells you. And poor Kalash is like, well, my heart tells me to stay, but my conscience tells me otherwise. I must go, Papa. Is here. Oh yeah. Oof. And then I feel like with Thunderbird is we start getting a little dicey like nineteen seventy five, there's some shortcuts with characterization that and this will be later on too about like the X these new all new all different X Men don't quite get along with everyone, which might be a great idea for um for a starting off point, like everyone's a little hostile to each other, maybe because they're not communicating well or they don't know each other and there's no real trust there. So it's a great idea to make them all a little he- like hesitant and weary of each other. And then that gives you, you know, drama and tension. But it's also a great place to be like, well, let's start them off here so then they can all become friends in like their fifth appearance together. Camp Verde, Arizona. Arizona represent. John Proudstar does not like the reservation. He does not like to watch the old ones sitting slumped against their doorsteps, dreaming dreams of glory long gone. John Proudstar is an Apache, and he's ashamed of his people. The Apache were meant to be hunters, warriors, not sad-eyed, simpering squalls. They were meant to run free through the crisp plains, grasses, and wind blowing wildly through their hair. Which is like, come on, buddy. Like, you're clearly, like, 25. These older people... Like, they've, they were once 25. Now they're older and they just want to sit. Let them sit. This young generation. Always making you get up once you're sitting down. You put your earbuds in. You gotta take them out. Talk to people. Come on. Once nothing could stand before the Apache. The bison that covered these plains feel like rain before Apache skill. Apache bravery. But never did any bison fall. Like this. And Proud Star like caught up to the bison and just like throws his head into the ground. Spider Man and Valkyrie, more mighty Marvel magic and Marvel team up thirty four. And Xavier calls out to him, and Proud Star's like, "Huh? When the oof? Yeah." So uh, they disagree at first, and then essentially Xavier Marty McFly's him by calling him that he's frightened. Like a selfish ch- children, and just like goats him into being like, "Fine, I'll do it," which is horrible because in like three issues, Proud Star's going to be dead for, I'm pretty sure for like fifty years, <laughs> and then um, or maybe forty years, and now, uh, um, you know, like he goaded him into doing this. He doesn't want to be part of the team anyways, but he called him chicken, and now he needs to join the team. Like, come on. Oh, I should have said that that this whole thing, being Proud Star, that was all chapter one. This is chapter two. And when there and when there was one. Oh, the way I started reading, I was like, oh yeah, that's an expression. But I don't think it is. Winchester, New York, the school had settled. Seemed a latter-day Tower of Babel at first, but a telepathic chasm course in the English language had closed the communication gap in mere minutes. Just in case you were wondering, like, how does a Russian guy speak with a German guy? This is how. Now Professor Charles Xavier sits somberly, studying his colorful costume house guest, and whatever thoughts he might have at this point are his alone to know. 
which I guess is most Xavier's thoughts. So Wolverine, Sunfire, and Banshee are in the back of the room. And, like, they're on the stairwell. And so your eye goes Wolverine, Sunfire, Banshee. And then if you're being generous, you go right to left with Kurt. And I like to think, like, oh, yeah, those are the four who had costumes. Then Thunderbird, Storm, and Colossus are new outfits who they just agreed, like, yeah, we'll wear these. And Xavier explains how the uniforms are constructed from unstable monocles which adjust themselves where necessary. I obtained them from a man named Reed Richards. I'm certain you will learn more of him and his friends later. Which is like a nice little plug. Because even the bottom pages and even the Fantastic Four save the Inhumans from themselves. Oh yeah, but then they don't promote what issue. You can look that up at. But still, like Xavier must have design these outfits and Clash is wearing this classic half shirt thing with the yellow sides and the yellow middle yellow big belt the red trunks Storm's wearing her black cape well you know these are the first appearances um the black briefs the black boots thigh high boots the headdress Proud Star's wearing his Thunderbird outfit yeah, actually it's a pretty cool logo um which I don't know what it is, an eagle, maybe? And then Xavier's, like, you know, talk about Reed Richards, the fire, Sunfire's like, we don't have time for this. Like, what What do you want? I'm losing my patience. Then Cyclops opens the door. Oh, yeah, Xavier's like, well, let, like, let me not explain to you. Let me let someone else explain it. Scott Summers, the man called Cyclops. And he just swings the door wide open. Not even knowing that he has a brother and Xavier right in front of him is having the thought of like, dude, I let your brother die, but I'm not going to tell you about it. So, don't read my mind. And also, I'm going to make you forget that you met your brother. Oh man, I said I wasn't going to get into it. Anyway, so Cyclops is explaining um, that the X-Men have disappeared. You seven are our only hope. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Come on, I may as well show you where it all began. <clears throat> and so the X-Men, or the OG X-Men, which was uh, Angel, Gene, Iceman, Cyclops himself, Polaris, and Havoc. Oh yeah, so I guess this answers the question. Beast is not in this comic, so he must have been deep into being an Avenger at this time. Anyway, so they got a signal that a big, uh, powerful mutant classification um, on the island south of Krakoa in the South Pacific. So they go to, like, investigate. So I like the idea that Krakoa is an an established island. Shortly after a specially designed straggle jet, and they're going to say straddle jet a bunch later, arced high over the patchwork countryside. Streaks toward an unknown confrontation, but at that moment, our minds were on other things. Wait, and Gene even says this. Ugh, I did read this comic over the course of two nights, and I completely forgot about this flashback. But Gene establishes, wish we could have contacted the Beast. Hank McCoy's dexterous digits might be uh, handy on a job like this. And Scott's correct to say, Hank graduated the X-Men, Gene. He hasn't got time for us. Now it's his business. It's Daredevil versus Blackwing in a deadly game of Hydra and Seek. Oof, that's horrible. And so they touch the ground. Um, and then all of a sudden they got Zap with a ray. And Cyclops says, I'm ashamed to say I never even saw what hit us. My head was a throbbing mass of pain and screaming. Images when I struggled awake, Lord knows how long afterward. I didn't realize where I was, nor did I really care. All that concerned me was, my friends, what happened to the other X-Men? And worse, what had happened to me? My eyes, dear heaven, my eyes, they've uncovered. They're, they're normal, powerless, but yet still gleaming with like red energy. And his costume's a shred. Uh, his left pant leg is just destroyed. It's non-existent. It's just threads. He still has both gloves on, which is a boss move, but... He, his shirt's just barely honing on over his uh, left shoulder. And I wasn't in control. Automatic pilot's jammed. Can turn this crate back to the island. I spent the next five minutes pounding fruitily on the control panel. 
then resigned myself to the situation and sat back in my seat. I wasn't happy by the time I reached Westchester. Not happy at all. And just Cyclops like slams the door wide open. He pretty much just retells the story, which would have been fun if we dedicated a whole issue, another page of Cyclops telling the previous two pages to Xavier. Sort of like Frankenstein, how uh, that story is like a story within a story where at one point, like the monster is telling Frankenstein, who's then telling Dr. Frankenstein, who's telling the guy on the ship, uh, Windsor? Wind. Windsor, something like that, who's then writing a letter to his sister. And at one point, the monster is even telling a story of a family, a French family he's come across, and then he's like relaying all the story of them. So it's like, I don't know, it's it's a uh, Russian doll of narrative. And while talking to Xavier, also in Cyclops' power, just like comes full blast. But I should have known better than to even ask. The optic energies that had cursed me since my early teens were back again with a vengeance. And this time they were so strong even I could not control them. I guess because they were just been holding back for so long. And so he's like, and now I need you. And Logan's like, well I guess we don't know his name's Logan yet. And he found us, so what now? And he's like, well now we're going back to Kokrola. Oh, witness the frightful fate of Glenn Tabbitt and Hulk 188. So weird which comics get their issue numbers and which ones don't. And Sunfire's like, I don't want none of this. I'm out. I'm out, E5000. Moments later, the straddle jet streaks up skyward, and there is only one empty seat on board. And all of a sudden, they see that Sunfire has come right back. So it's weird. Like, top of the page, he's left. Three panels later, he's right back. So it's like, why, why, why do we need this? And once on the plane, Kurt's like, "Why did he come back?" And he's like, "The the reasons are mine, are nobody's business but my own, Misfit. You do well to remember that." Gwen Stacy's alive and well. Find out for sure in Spider-Man One Forty Five, Chapter Three: Assault Force. An hour passes, two hours, until the forsaken atoll called Kokoa looms full before the viewpoints. And, and uh, Cyclops is full leader mode. And I can't say much for you, sense of humor, Wolverine, nor yours, Thunderbird. And Thunder and Proudstar corrects him. The name is Proudstar One-Eye. And for like the rest of the issue... Cyclops is going to keep calling him Thunderbird, and he's going to keep calling him One-Eye. So it's like, if you just called him Proudstar, he probably would have called you Cyclops. Not anymore. The professor has given you all codenames. Group, you might as well start using, getting used to them. Now the assault teams will be as follows. Storm, you and Colossus will come in from the north. Banji and Wolverine will move across from the east. Sunfire and Nightcrawler will start searching from the south. Which neither of them are happy with. We can argue when you all get back. Now go. East team, go. North team, go. Um, and it's funny because Banshee needs to shout to make his powers work. And Wolverine's heightened senses is like, do you have the screech like that? Cripes. And it's just like, oh, poor Banshee. Because you always got, like, I guess in my mind, he always just did the initial shout. And then, like, glided wherever he um, needed to go. But... Like, I forget, like, no, he he's shouting the whole time to stay afloat. Uh, Sunfire's holding Kurt's hands as they, um, he flies them across. Um, Colossus just jumps out the floor of the plane, the straddle jet. And Storm's quick to be like, no, what are you doing? And she, oh, she catches him. He's like, oh, I, I, I can land with the best of them. But she doesn't know. Well, earlier, he was in metal form, but... She probably just assumes that if you're in metal form and still land on your feet from the plane, you know, your knees are going to be broken. But anyway, she catches them. Once more into the straddle jet's viral system, lowers it to the earth, and through, and through he cr- tries, the man called Cyclops cannot suppress a shudder. How many more will he, we lose this time, he wonders morbidly. Would I li- even live long enough to find out? But he's a professional, the star-crossed mutant. The questions follow him as he steps out on, upon the landscape. And he leaves his fears in the ship. 
And so um, Cyclops and Proudstar are about to like start heading out when he remembers he forgot the mini Cerebral unit. And he turns around and his shadow jets is missing. The shattering secret of Falcon revealed in Captain America 186. So they see a giant um, temple. So they start heading to it. And it's so gigantic that all the teams are going to start heading there. Which now I have to think about. Well, they're all just going to go to a giant temple. They could have just not separated into mini teams and just came together and just met there. But uh, Cyclops and Proudstar had to fight off some weeds. Uh, grumbling and annoyance, the mutant now reluctantly called Thunderbird follows his cyclopean companion into the verdant underbush. John Proudstar has never much liked the jungle, and apparently the feeling is mutual. Within moments, the two young X-Men have left the straddling creeper vines far behind them, and it's not terribly difficult to determine which way they have gone. Classic X-Men, you always know where where they've been. Fourteen minutes later, and they're at the temple. Continue next page. Well, minutes earlier on the island's north side, and uh, Colossus and Storm are outrunning an avalanche. And the avalanche is just following them, which they are like, it's unnatural. And then uh, he grabs a tree to save Storm from a bunch of rocks coming her way. Well, I guess that's what an avalanche is, right? And Storm's quick to be like, I thank you, Peter, but there's no need for you to protect me. I'm no longer threatened. And so they get to the, uh, they catch up to Cyclops and Thunderbird, or Proudstar. Dang it, I meant to respect his, his proper name. The mighty Thor has but one life to give, and the Acerbian Man wants to take it. On the island's east side, uh, Wolverine is fighting a giant or two giant lobsters, and Banshee's uh, punching his way through. I guess he's oh yeah, and then he screams himself up and spracks uh, the lobsters in half. So one, so they both took out one lobster. So that's nice. And then the Aaron-born mutant is already aloft, and through his sonic scream is not nearly so flamboyant as his companion's slashing talons. It is nonetheless equally effective. The battle is violent, but brief. And soon, Banji and Wolverine catch up to them. While on the island's south side, uh, Kurt and Sunfire are fighting giant yellow eagles coming at them. A burst of flame, the stench of... St- Burnstone and the mutant called Nightcrawler suddenly elsewhere. His laugh a little more than a hideous howl. And Sunfire is not impressed with him, but he burns the bird and they start flying, making their way to the temple. Catching up finally. Man gods from beyond the stars conquer the earth in Marvel premiere number one. We're on page 36. And so they open, they're into the temple. Wolverine, Colossus. Wolverine. I mean, he's there. But Cyclops and Colossus both put their hands on the wall. Cyclops determines that the doors are sealed tight and it's about a foot thick. In our very first example of mutant um, working together, Cyclops, Wolverine, honestly, Cyclops, Colossus, it's the too many C names. Sunfire and Banji use their powers to uh, break through it, the wall. The lesson is entitled Breaking and Entering, and although the neophyte X-Men lack in finesse of their predecessors, they certainly get an A for effort. Still slightly astonished by their own abilities, the young mutants step cautiously into the Stygian darkness and find their hearts swivering heavy in their throats and uh, being sucked dry is Angel, Polaris, Havoc, Iceman, Gene. Like, there's just a bunch of vines, like, connecting their bodies. Just being fed upon. And they get them all rescued. Uh, Scott grabs Gene, of course. Uh, Wolverine and Banji get Iceman, who's still powered up. So that can't be comfortable in anyone's hands or arms. Gene, uh, Scott's carrying Gene in a classic... Uh, the crisis cover of Superman and Supergirl that's been repeated ad nauseum. Uh, 
trying to see who got who. Colossus is holding havoc. And even as the arcane temple topples into the ruin behind them. And Angel finally caught, catches his breath. He says, you fool, don't you understand? It wanted you to come back and bring others with you. It was all a trap and now it's too late. And all of a sudden we see the mutant is the island itself. Chapter 4. Oh wait. Can even Shang-Chi, Master Kung Fu, survive the rampage of Razor Fist? Good thing we stopped for that. Chapter 4. Kakrola, the island that walks like a man. And Dave Cockrum has designed a perfect island-sized monster. Not a monster. An island that walks like a man. Kakrola. He just is, I don't know, like a giant man thing, but his eyes, like two giant red eyes and gnarly teeth and about those face tentacles. So, nothing like Man-Thing, maybe? Um, images flood a mutant's mind as they stand rooted into the spot. The sunburst brilliance of an early atomic test whose unseen radiation permeated every living organism here until they grew linked in a colony intelligence that Gave the island a life of its own. And Krakola grew hungry then. A hunger barely appeased with the X-Men arrived upon the scene. Krakola fed upon their mutant energies and grew hungrier still. Thus it released one X-Men and sent him forth to find more food. Which Cyclops did. And then he got those four mutants stuck. And he went back and got more. And Krakola speaks, and now we will go hungry no longer. Yes, we use you, eye this one. Because from his point of view, Cyclops doesn't have one big eye. He just has zero eyes. As we use the legless one who gathered you all together. Honestly, it's like, it's worse than like the nicknames of the whole give people. And the command of a voice only his mind could hear. But the time for explanations has passed. Now it is time for Krakola to feed. Cyclops is like, scatter X-Men quickly. Assuming, of course, the, the vegetation monstrosity has any, which is doubtful. Oh, yeah, because Wolverine's trying to claw it to see if any blood will come out, but no blood. Well, uh, Storm's lightning's not doing nothing. Mere worlds, words could never begin to describe the sheer unbridled savagery of the battle that follows, so we won't even attempt it here. Just know it's a half the page and the X-Men are just fighting it. Optic blasts, lightning bolts, heat blasts, banshee screams, uh, havoc, havocing, and Angel just flapping his wings. Colossus is punching, Proudstar is dodging, Kurt looks like he's dodging as well, and Wolverine is doing some climbing. Suffice it to say that the conflict goes wildly on until and Xavier tells Cyclops well not tells him, like mentally telepathically speaks how, how do we say it? That he has a plan. And he I guess he's back in New York. So that's quite the reach he has. In an instant, Professor Charles Xavier mental commands are projected halfway around the world. Then he closes his eyes, steals himself for the coming ordeal, and concentrates. And the battle is joined. Who would be drafted in the search for new Avengers? Find out in issue 136. It is a war fought on two fronts as Professor X wages deadly mental combat with a crazed community intellect. While his students race to carry out his plan. At Cyclops' command, the eyes of the mutant called Storm glow dark once more. And she soars aloft on the wings of the wind. High above Krakoa, she hovers, slowly summoning to her the temp tempest full elect electronic fury. Then suddenly transmitting those seething energies to the life young woman who once waits anxiously below. Thus restoring the mag mighty magnetic powers of the girl called Lorna Dane. Not to be mistaken for the cookies. Little uncanny excess reference. Within moments, the circuit's complete Lardoon. I was like, I don't think that joke's going to uh, land, but it totally did. Within moments, the circuit is completed. This, the storm and Polaris moment here is the official 
first mutant circusy, which uh, Jonathan Hickman would do for Hoxpox. Um, which now I wish I had bought that trade at Barnes Noble, and my lovely wife was like, "Yeah, just buy it." And I was like, "Well," and I should have just bought it. It was a beautiful hardcover. Maybe well, no, I've already put my submitted my Christmas list. It's not coming my way, but maybe for my birthday. Um. Anyways, back to it. Then Lorna Dane screams in anguish as she physical limits her reach and exceeded. And she's just like screaming, like, don't stop, Lord. Whatever you do, don't stop. And Havoc wants Scott to tell her that she can stop. <laughs> but, I mean, she literally doesn't want Scott to stop her, nor the Lord. And Scott's quick to be like, I can't sacrifice, oh no, I can't sacrifice the word to say one woman, Alex. Even if she is the woman you love. <laughs> Which is messed up. But I guess he holds that truth. Oh no, no, because he's willing to let the whole universe die when, like, Jean Grey's threatened on the moon. And Havoc's like, I swear to you, brother or no brother, she dies. The remainder of Havoc's angry outburst is slain by the cracking war, the thunderous downpour, even as the torrential waters lend life to something else. And Kokoa is recognizing like he's up in the air and it's not where he wants to be. <laughs> But uh, the rain has low made Carcola stronger. Fools, you brought rain from the sky to destroy us, but it serves only to replenish us and give us the strength to destroy you. But as before, the X-Men argue the point quite strongly. With that, a stone on Scott Summers turns to find that the figure of Lorna Dane has become lost within a corsicating and can sense tower of sheer magnetic force. His mutant eyes narrow, and a single word forms upon his lips. Now! And then the two brothers put their powers combined. Conan the Barbarian faces the unconquerable Eunice, the uncanny in issue 51. The explanation mark looked like a one as well, so I was like, 511? Come on. Took uncanny X-Men like 40 years. Which is my second reference to years. And Tom Brevert does a this day in comic history. Or these comics were released on this day. And uh, the 20 years ago was... Uh, why did I even try this? Uh, on the Avengers... Oh, Jeff Jones, Jones, before he went DC, became Mr. DC. He was on the Avengers. And right before Bendis took over the title, naturally... Which, honestly, I was not a big fan of Jeff Johns' Avengers run. And I was willing to drop it. But then this Bendis guy was showing up. And I was like, I'll stick around. Anyways, Jeff Johns was on Avengers 20 years ago. And we'll say there was an art comic that was like, oh, oh, Captain America. Uh, was that Robert Kirkland on Captain America? No, 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 Ed Brubaker. <laughs> I'm the worst. Ed Brubaker and Captain America. Why didn't I even try this? Um, and I was like, oh, yeah. I guess I was way into comics 20 years ago. As one can be in their 20s. Um, oh yeah, I guess I wasn't. Anyways. Uh, and almost... Burr, 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 the brothers together. With almost indescribable force, Lorna's magnet energies erupt downward through five miles of ocean, through 4,000 miles of Earth's ancient crust, down to the very molten center of the planet itself. Where its effects are immediately and violent. What is happening to us? Why do we feel so strange? Our mind hurts so. Can't retain our humanoid form. Please help us. And everyone's just trying to get off. And the rain is just pouring in. And like Cochrane's doing a great job again. And making that rain look thick and heavy. Both things. And move it they do. And a few other beings on earth possibly could. And they're just trying to get out of there. Page 45. Swifty and desperate, X-Men clamber aboard the crude ice craft and then hang on for dear life. As the mutant powers of Cyclops and Havoc propel the makeshift vessel away from Karkoa with the speed of a hurling hydroplane. Behind them, the world convulses in carnage as the results of Lorna Dane's energy boat become apparent at last. For electricity-charged bursts has cut across the planet's primary lines of magnetic force, severing them. For the instant about the island Coca-Cola, gravity ceases to exist. 
Then the earth force comes violently together, and the effect is the same as squeezing wet soap through a fist. Wish we don't really have soap bars here, but I was trying to envision, like, the last time I had a bar of soap in my hand, and, like, trying to squeeze in how that would just be slippery. Krakola's death cries ring for long seconds in the minds of the awestruck X-Men. Then a few more frightening reality intrudes upon the scene. The ocean is rushing to fill in the space Krakoa just vacated. And we're caught in a whirlpool. And sadly, Krakoa is now in space and being jettisoned across the universe. And poor Darwin and Gabriel Summers is on that island. That walks like a man. Daredevil, Luke Cage, Son of Satan, Agala, Gestar, Extrazoranza, and Defenders 24. Voraciously, the great ice bubble is sucked into the wildly swirling maw, and those within are battered across senseless against the cold unfilling walls. They voice their pain enthusiastically, and they then they are gone, the seeming... The seething waters swirl close across above their heads, and for a time the sea is calm. The minutes pass intermittently, and then the huge gleaming bubble bursts the water's surface, and it's in itself bursts in turn by the beam of scarlet fury. And the X-Men have survived it. Survived the encounter. Shortly as the shadow jet streaks skyward. Oh yeah, because the jet's waterproof. And Angel asks the question. Sorry, we don't have seats for all of you. But this plane wasn't designed to carry so many mutants. Which brings us to a little problem. What do we going to do with 13 X-Men? <laughs> Page 47 poses. We'll find out next issue with the Doomsmith Strikes. And it's funny that Angel asked the question because... Well, bub, you're not going to make it. And so we get three backup strips. Um, And the first one is a Cyclops origin story. None but editor Stan Lee could supervise such a minuscule masterpiece. None but writer Roy Thomas and artist Warner Roth could co-create such a dramatic drama. None but our ever-loving inker could possibly expect letter... Artie Limicic to spell a name like John Verporten. I'm going to opt to not read these captions because we're almost at the hour mark. Uh, the next, another page from the X, X Family album presenting I, the Iceman. Frigidly fashioned by Stan Lee, Shusha Shivering scripted by Arnold Drake, perpetually painted by Warner Roth, icily inked by John Verporten. Lukewarmly lettered by Joe Rosen, which originally appeared in X-Men issue 47, which makes me want to... Oh, yeah, Cyclops is, was originally published in X-Men 43. And then we get Jean Grey, and she only gets like three pages compared to everyone else's like seven pages. Uh, the Female of the Species, edited by Stan Lee, written by Linda Fight. Pencil by Warner Roth and ink by Sam Grainer, originally published in X-Men 57. Yeah, she gets like four pages. And that was Giant Size X-Men number one. Burr, 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 burr. Legit, like two minutes ago, I realized I did not do that sound effect. Produced by me. Anyway, so thank you so much, everyone, for listening to Giant Size X-Men. Uh, please go to Jackal SII on YouTube to see how badly beaten this is. I didn't even mention it, but this comic legit looks like a cat got to it. And you can really tell, like, it nibbled on... Oh, you know what? In the video, I'm pretty sure I was proposing that it was chewing on the left page, and then somehow I got to the right page, but clearly it must have just been chewing away on the corner. And then... I can't only imagine when it was being pulled away, it scratched the cover. And that's why some of the upper comic is torn. Um, 
But so please follow the YouTube channel. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Tumblr if you so want to. Also, Jacko SII. Pretty much any you Google Jacko SII on any social media platform, you should find me. If you don't find me, hit me to it on Twitter. That's usually where I'm most active, and you can. Um, uh, I will join that social platform and claim the title. Um, I don't know what I'm going to do for next issue because I sort of want to make my Christmas ish comic I want to review the day after Christmas because I like releasing these on Mondays. And um, I have an idea of something to review for, but I got to see what I could do. Uh, my wife has decided that we're not going to put... Because usually we wrap presents and then just put them under the tree. But we are... She's thinking it'd be a fun idea if we bring them all out on Christmas Eve. So right where my comics are, it's just all my... All the presents we've bought so far. Well, the presents I bought my wife and the few I bought for Walker. And then other ones that, you know, we bought for Walker. And um, so they're... They're all on top of my comic book boxes. So I got to figure out how I'm going to put Giant Size X-Men 1 back as well as grab the next issue. But I got to figure that out. But that's on me. Um, so hopefully you'll join me next uh, Monday, ideally, um, as we review the next issue. Um, you can follow the blog. Ugh, not the blog. Well, yes. You can go to shadowandflamewithmagic.com and follow the blog. You can follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram on uh, as SNFWM. And thanks so much for listening. We really appreciate it. And I'll see you for episode 12. All right, everyone. Bye.